Section 4 of The Woman Movement by Ellen Kay, translated by Mary Budden Mama Brothwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1. The External Results of the Woman Movement. The history of the woman movement, conscious of its purpose, does not fall within the compass of this book. But, as foundation for the later judgments, it is necessary to take a short retrospective glance over the essential results which the woman movement has attained in the struggle for women's equality with men, in the right to general culture, professional education, and work, as well as in the sphere of family and of civil status. These several demands for equality were voiced as early as 1848 in a powerful and menindicting plea by the American women in their Declaration of Sentiments. But in 1905, the program for Germany's Allemagne Frauverein, as well as many both conservative and radical resolutions for women congresses in different countries, show how far removed Europe and, in many respects, America also, still are from the desires expressed in the year 1984. In the humble utterance of women, we can, with justice, demand nothing of life except a work and a duty, be conclusive, then life has already conceded to the demands of women in rich measure. The woman movement and the self-interest of the employers have made accessible to her a number of new fields of labor, without mentioning those which 50 years ago were only the ones proper for women in the middle class, those of a teacher, lady companion, and lady's help. The woman movement and men's increasing recognition of women's needs of general education and professional qualification have created a large number of educational institutions. But in regard to the right of work, the acquisitions are but insignificant if this right be defined as the opportunity for that work which one prefers and for which one is best fitted. Women have now, for example, in many countries the right to pass the same examinations as men, but in many cases not the right to the offices which these examinations open to men. The profession to which women have found a comparatively easy entrance, that of a physician, is widely extended among women in Europe as well as in America. That a dwelling was denied to the first woman physician because her profession was considered improper for a woman, Sounds not like a fable. Everywhere now are women nurses, teachers, subgymnastics, dentists, apothecaries, and midwives. In America, there are even many women ministers, and it sounds likewise wholly fabulous to say that the first of these was literally stoned. Women judges also have been appointed in America. In Europe, there are none to my knowledge and no woman preachers. And yet, the woman pastor would often be, especially for women and children, the better minister than the clergyman for them. Also, the woman judge might often surpass the men in penetration and understanding. The profession of law, open to women in many countries, is as yet little practiced by them in Europe. And yet, as advocate, police officer, and prison attendant, the female official would be of special service for her own sex, as well as for children and young people of both sexes. But in every field where the living reality of flesh and blood has to be compressed into legal paragraphs, mankind must be more or less mistreated. 
and since even masculine jurists of feeling suffer under this conviction, the reason for the fact that this career in which women would be of infinitely great service to humanity has thus far attracted her little, maybe sought in feminine sensitiveness. All the more numerous are the women who have devoted themselves to the task most akin to motherhood, the profession of teacher. Unfortunately, not always the inner call, but the prestige of the position has determined the choice. Millions of women are now employed as teachers in all possible types of schools, from kindergartens to training schools, from infant schools to boys' colleges. Even in universities, although in Europe very rarely, it is true, women occupy chairs of learning. In the field of popular education, women are zealously active as lecturers, librarians, leaders of evening classes, and in similar work. With every decade, women's powers have attained their right more fully and in fields where it now seems incredible that men could, and still partly do, insist upon getting along without them. I refer to the associations and institutions concerned with prison supervision and reformatories with schools and children's homes, care of the poor and the sick, health and factory inspection. Slowly but surely, the woman movement has prepared a place for the mother of society besides the father of society, who, in these domains, is often very awkward and quite helpless. Alone or together with men, women have organized milk distribution and crochet, housekeeping schools, school food kitchens, people's food kitchens, people's polyclinics, sanitariums, and rest homes, vacation colonies, homes for sick and neglected children, etc. Many kinds of homes for working women, old people's homes, rescue homes, institutions for the protection of mothers and children, employment bureaus, legal redress, and other forms of social relief are connected indirectly, if not directly, with the women movement. Great women agitators, on their part, set thousands of women into action, as example Harriet Beecher Stowe, agitating against Negro slavery, Josephine Butler against prostitution, Frances Willard against intemperance, and Bertha von Stuttner against war. And yet, in spite of the fabulous amount of time, strength, and money which the associations and organizations thus created have cost in the donations of time and money, this social relief work is only the oil and wine of the Samaritan for the wounds of society. As long as brigand hands drag mothers and children into factories, as long as armies cost much more than schools, as long as dwelling conditions in the cities are for many people worse than those for domestic animals in the country, as long as alcohol and syphilis brand the new generation, so long the woman's devotion remains powerless. And this conviction has urged women to transform their social work from an often injudicious Christian compassion into an organized charity in order to anticipate and prevent need and to facilitate self-help. But also in this new phase of their philanthropic work, many women of the middle class are arriving at an understanding of the necessity of a social reform in accordance with socialistic demands. A larger number of women joined the suffragist movement, less owing to the individual demands for a right than out of despair over the hopeless social work to which their feeling of solidarity still impels them. For without suffrage, this day experience every day, their work of relief is like seed sown in a morass. 
A byproduct of the social relief work is that many single women have found in voluntary social work an occupation, and often also remunerative social work a livelihood, in both cases through service in which certain feminine qualities can be of value. Yes, exactly in the above-mentioned fields of work, which so often bring the modern woman in contact with the finest and most delicate, as well as with the coarsest and hardest sides of life, which place her before conflicts of the most exceptional, as well as of the most universally human kind, there woman has nothing new to give, except her motherliness. That means protecting tenderness, gentle patience, glad readiness to help, the interest embracing each one in particular, the fine and quick vibration in contact with the feelings of others which we, in a word, call tact. If, however, a woman has not been endowed with motherliness or has none remaining, then she reverts to impersonal devotion to duty, heart formalism, dry routine. Then, all the talk about the social significance of women's entrance into the field of medicine or jurisprudence or the ministry of social work remains only empty phrases. In all these spheres, a good man is much more valuable than a hard woman, and that woman's hands can be rough, women's eyes cold, women's soul base or cruel, this many suffering and crushed, sorrowing and sinful, small and defenseless have already experienced. If woman is to keep her superiority at the elevator of the suffering of others, the protector of others, solicitous for the welfare of others, then she must not only acquire certain universal human qualities in which man is often superior to her, she must also carefully guard and cultivate the best capacities which her sex gained in and through the hundred thousand years' activity, as that half of mankind which created the home and reared the children. Although the woman movement has multiplied and extended the social relief work of women in innumerable directions, still it has not yet opened to her the field in which formerly deaconesses and much earlier still nuns were engaged. But what is new as a result of the woman movement is that more and more single cultured women now devote themselves to the occupations of governess, nurse, midwife, and kindred callings, as well as more special training is demanded for these vocations to which women turned earlier with downright criminal carelessness. Simultaneously with the need of the middle-class woman for new fields of work came the extraordinary rapid development of commerce and business, which occasioned a need for new working forces. Feminine honesty, orderliness, and devotion to duty, alas, also her modest demands of compensation, made the state as well as private employers favorably disposed to employ women in increasingly greater numbers in the different branches of commerce in the post office railroads telegraphs telephone as also in banks counting houses agencies or stores as secretaries stenographers and clerks in cases where the wife or daughter was the husband's or father's assistant, such work then received a personal interest, and that woman's labor in this form can signify for national wealth can be seen in France especially. But as a rule, no real joy in work could illuminate the days and years of the generation of women who, in all these vocations, have grown gray and at best have been pensioned. Nevertheless, in these offices one always sees fresh faces bending over the desk to fade away in their turn. 
Lack of courage or means often deters the European woman from more independent business activity, and this in spite of increasing freedom to choose her occupation, in spite of brilliant examples of successful undertakings of women in photography, hotel or boarding house management, dressmaking, etc. In America, on the contrary, there is no masculine occupation, from that of butcher and executioner to real estate speculator and stock exchange gambler, that women have not practiced. But while the women of the older generation were thankful if only they succeeded in obtaining a work and a duty, however monotonous and wearing it might be, the will of the younger generation for a pleasurable labor has fortunately increased. Partly alone, partly cooperatively, women began to venture into the applied arts, handwork, farming, or kindred work. And since corresponding special training schools quickly arise to meet the awakening of the desire for a vocation, we can hope for good results for these, as yet rare, enterprising spirits. For special education is, in our time, the essential condition of success, especially in agriculture, where the women often succeeded without other help than their personal efficiency and the farmer's customary practice. Since I know America only at second hand, I have no claim to a final judgment regarding the influence of business life and modern methods of production upon the sole life of woman. In the women who have succeeded in securing affluence through commercial life, one finds probably the same anti-Christian effects of this life as among men. Recently, in America, a number of men and women endeavored to live for 14 days as Christ would have lived. The decision of most of these who were engaged in business life was that either they must cease to follow in the footsteps of Christ or must resign their position. And since, with due consideration for the number of women employers in America, many of these experiences must surely have been made under feminine supervision, the experiment does not lack a certain significance for the forming of a judgment in the direction referred to. The zeal of women's rights advocates to open to women all of men's fields of labor, and not only this, but to prove that these fields are as well adapted to women as men. This zeal has unfortunately had as a result that the women movement has turned the aptitude of many women in a wrong direction and has fettered a great amount of women's misused working power to thankless or galling tasks. But on the other hand, how the woman movement has elevated women's work since it has raised the standard of qualification in many fields and increased the feeling of responsibility in all how it has increased the honor of work and the capacity for organization, developed the judgment, stimulated the willpower, strengthened the courage. It has awakened innumerable slumbering talents, given freedom of action to innumerable shackled powers. And thus it has transformed hosts of women of the upper class, formerly the most useless burden of earth, into productive members of society. Instead of mere consumers, made them self-supporting instead of dependent, joyful instead of weary of life. The woman movement of the lower classes is socialistic. It has increased in extent and significance in the same measure in which the working woman has given up farming, housework, and domestic service for industry. This woman movement also worked in two directions. The older program reads, Full Equality of Women with Men. In the state of the future, both sexes shall have the same duty of work and the same protection of work. 
while the children are reared in state institutions. The movement in the other direction purposes to win back the wife to the husband, the mother to the children, and thereby the home to all. The old or right wing of the middle class women movement, as well as the older direction of the socialism just mentioned, still uphold with arguments of the old liberalism, the individual freedom of the working woman against all protecting exceptional laws. Increasing number of the more radical, that means in this connection, more social feminists of the upper class, however, stand side by side with the less dogmatic trend of socialism in its supreme struggle for the protection of the mother. In the socialistic women movement, both efforts for freedom were interwoven, that of the working men and that of the women checked during the French Revolution, but soon after revived as the two great forces of the new century. In this interwining of the women question with the labor question is found the explanation of the fact that socialists characterize the woman question as an economic question solely, while in reality the women question historically manifestly began as an advocacy of the human right and worth of woman, and that too before any great industry appeared on the horizon. As long as the man was the one who, outside the home, was producer and provider, and the woman the one who, within the home, managed and perfected the raw material, no economic women question could arise. But, on the other hand, exactly a question of women's rights. For, as some writers demonstrated as early as the 18th century, it was absurd if women's work in the home was so valuable and so faithfully performed that it should not secure in consequence corresponding rights. And exactly because the middle class women movement tried to uphold and defend the right and the freedom of women in the compass of the old society, this movement became, and must still often be, a struggle of women against men. The socialistic woman movement is, on the other hand, merely a factor in a joint struggle of men and women against the old society and for a new condition. The struggle here cannot be sex against sex, but class against class. Each of these women movements has partly been right, each has partly misunderstood the other. Only in recent times has a convergence between the middle class and the socialistic women movement been accomplished for the attainment of a number of common ends. For example, the protection of the mother mentioned above and especially the franchise. This convergence has dissolved the prejudice on both sides. In both quarters, they begin to understand the power and the aim of the other movement. Socialism and the woman movement are two mighty streams, which drag along with them great parts of the firm formations which they touch. But if one wishes to be just towards both, one must not forget that in this way new lands are created. The socialistic women, on their part as speakers, agitators, journalists, members of special associations, have stood in rank and filed beside the men as true comrades, and the middle-class women have much to learn from the feeling of solidarity of the women socialists. The masculine comrades have not always, in practice, sustained the principle of equality, for even the socialist is first man and then comrade, but in theory he generally supported it. Through socialism, feminism has penetrated to the masses. What the middle-class woman movement would have needed another century to effect, socialism has accomplished in a few decades. Nothing shows better than its fear of socialists how blindly prejudiced 
was the right wing of the middle-class feminism and nothing so clearly elucidates in which stage of feminism the upper-class movement was then its obstinate adherence to the principle of personal freedom in face of the atrocious actual conditions which resulted from the freedom of work of the women factory hands i will here recall only in brief the progress of the economic women movement in the class of factory workers when machines transformed the whole method of production and a host of women no longer found sufficient occupation in the home while at the same time the possibilities of marriage decreased because of the surplus of women and also for other reasons the middle-class women looked about them for new fields of labor the great industries in return looked about them for more hands and since with the machine female hands were quite as serviceable as male with a new machine it was possible to replace thirty men with one woman and since in addition they were cheaper then began the exodus of women from the home into the factory the results of which we are now experiencing when the mother is absent from the home then there is lacking of the cohering supervising warming force and the home deteriorates and falls into pieces the children are neglected the husband suffers the streets takes possession of the children the alhos of the men moreover the women work often for starvation wages whereby less comes into the home than is lost by the absence and incapacity of the mother in the middle classes daughters and wives entirely or partly supported in the home could be satisfied with smaller wages and have thus become the competitors of men and women wholly self-supporting for the same reason wives working in these industries have often become the competitors of men children again the competitors of women and married women the competitors of unmarried in women so long secluded in the sphere of the family the social feeling of solidarity has been very slowly awakened therefore organization which could prevent the competition just mentioned has only in the last decade made great progress everywhere among working women in the middle-class vocations this is almost entirely lacking among the working women slowness of organization is natural for the more wretched their position was the more difficult was it for them to organize but among middle-class women the reason was partly their individualism partly their anti-socialism partly the lack of feeling of solidarity just referred to homework for profit and pleasure in one's own family or in service of the applied arts has become a means for the sweat system the facts of which belong to the darkest side of the modern working life these facts alone would be sufficient to prove that working women have little to gain from the luxury of the rich an assertion with which luxury often vindicates itself there is still for the women working at home as well as for the women working in the factory besides their professional work also the duty of caring for the children and managing the home however insufficient this may be yet it still claims a great part of their already meagre leisure and the more tender and conscientious the mothers are the more they wear themselves out and the sooner must society after night watching lack of light and hunger have ruined them maintain them as infirm or paupers the life of these women passed in the factory often from childhood has made them moreover generation after generation more unfitted for household work what does it profit to attempt to remedy the evil by housekeeping schools and instruction in the care for children for where time and strength are lacking the home has lost its right
what can be expected of women who three or four days after confinement must again stand in the machine who are compelled to leave their children behind them shut it at home exposed to all conceivable accidents what can be expected of mothers who have become mothers against their will mothers of children who because of the conditions of their parents' work have become scrofulous rickety idiotic children who contract degeneration of the liver because the harassed ignorant mother quieted them with brandy ill-treated them herself a physical and psychic ruin who spreads destruction about her the feminists are accustomed to rage over the custom which formerly condemned the indian widows to be burnt upon the funeral pyre a custom which is only an innocent sport in comparison with the woman's slavery which europe has even brought to a system and which the woman movement long ignored to these general facts which apply also to women employed in hard agricultural labor there is also added an entirely new series of evils associated with occupations dangerous to health for example those in which lead quicksilver phosphorus or tobacco poison the workers or those branches of work where inhaling dust at the weaving loom or in spinning breathing gas and cold smoke exposed to heat smoke and damp they contract tuberculosis and other diseases to say nothing of the physical and moral misery in which miners and stevedores live but the worst begins only when the women are to become mothers Either the embryo is killed by an abortion, intentional or caused by the occupation, or it comes into the world dead or sick or crippled, or it dies in the first weeks, or wastes away under artificial nourishment. In England, for example, only one out of eight children is nursed. The mothers either cannot or will not. Next to the labor conditions, alcohol plays the greatest part in this indirect massacre of infants. If one turns from the women engaged in industrial work and to the servant class, then female drudgery reaches perhaps its height among the girls employed in bars, cafes, and similar establishments. What physical and psychic results this work entails can be divined from the fact that, in England, half of all women's suicides are such as waitresses under 30 years of age that family servant girls are allowed to sleep in closets and to work far beyond the present customary factory time that in the class of saleswomen especially in cigar shops the longest working hours together with the most paltry starvation wages are found all this and everyone knows is the fundamental reason why the path is so short from all these occupation to the lowest to prostitution the servant girl corrupted by the master of the house, the half-starved, overworked shop girl, the night-watching cigar worker, and many, many others, are found here as sacrifices of a shameless exploitation. Herewith we stand before that women question, in which both elementary instincts have united for the captivity of women from which the woman movement has found no means of emancipation, against which the means sought in these and other quarters prove fruitless for only a radical transformation of society and sexual ethics can here provide a remedy everyone in the face of these facts touched upon thus superficially must be astounded that women could oppose laws for the protection of women fortunately this progress impeding the emancipation of women had no influence when in england and other countries certain night work began to be prohibited to women their working hours limited certain employments bared out and a time of rest assured to the woman recently confined still very small steps only but in the right direction 
At the same time, the organization of working women advances so that by labor unions and strikes here and there, they have succeeded in enforcing better wages, shorter working hours, and better labor conditions. And so long as the woman movement of the upper classes has no solidarity with that of the lower, the female factory inspector can accomplish very little as a result of the fear of the working women to give facts and adroitness of the employers in veiling these. But if women of the upper class begin to compete with the slave-driving sweat system, employers through well-organized cooperative enterprises, especially for the revival of artistic handwork, whereby a profitable work is made for mothers at home under good working conditions, and if they boycott all shops where the working hours of the women exceed the due measure, while their wages are below the standard, then the women movement could be able to hasten certain reforms in the fields of industry, just as so many mistresses of girls' private schools have hastened the reform of public schools. They simply avail themselves of the improvements arising from the feminine initiative. The married woman as a family provider beside the men, often also in a place of the men, but also, however, subservient to the men's domination. This is the worst form of women's slavery our time has created. The woman movement purposes indeed to make the wife of age in every respect and free from the husband's guardianship. But within the woman movement, all are not yet entirely agreed that the work of the mother outside the home, in and for itself, is an evil. Attempts are indeed being made to alter the conditions which are most to blame for the deterioration of mothers and children. But a large friction in the women movement wishes still, as was said, to cling to the immediately remunerative work of the mother and remedy the resulting lack of home by social institutions for care of children, housekeeping, etc. On this side, the following arguments are heard. Women becomes free only when she can wholly support herself and can devote herself to her work, unhampered by duties towards husband and children. Only through the reciprocal social obligation of work and the complete individual freedom of both sexes can the present conflicts between the labor of men and women, between individual happiness and the common weal, finally cease. Like every canalization or drainage of the mighty river system of the life of human feeling, this program is direct and conclusive. One may easily understand that masculine brains dominated by a passion for logic could devise it. But if we hear it advocated by multitudes of women, then we recognize how harassed by the fourfold burden of family provider, child bearer, child educator, and housekeeper the poor woman must be who can smilingly ascend to the foregoing picture of the future. And yet, there is another possible ideal of the future which can be realized as soon as production is determined, no longer by private capitalistic interests, but by social-political interests. Women will then be employed in industrial fields of work where their powers as productive as possible, with the least possible loss in time and strength above all in those fields where the work requires no long preparation and dexterity does not suffer by interruptions, before the years in which the occupation is motherhood, and after these years women can still be always remunerated by an economic wage, during the years, on the contrary, in which motherhood is the vocation, she can be remunerated by the state. 
it is only necessary that women and men will a new order whereby in the future we attain the following conditions. A society in which the welfare of the new generation is the center to which all social political plans at heart are aiming. Children born of parents whose souls and bodies are qualified and prepared for a worthy parenthood and who can thus create for their children sound and beautiful conditions of life. Mothers won back to the husbands, the children, the homes, but under such circumstances that as free human personalities, they perform the most important work of society, the bearing and rearing of children. Fathers with time and leisure to share with the mothers the task of education and to share with them and the children the joys of the home life as well as of the remainder of existence. This ideal of the future state takes in my imagination the form of a varied Italian garden with white outlook upon the great sea. The other ideal of the future, on the contrary, is to me like a coal mine, wherein all spiritual and social vegetation is petrified so that it now serves only as a motive power for machines. Nothing more effectively proves how rife with reactions and for that reason how hidden is the power of development than to realize that the unorganized, inorganic, socialistic ideals of the future just mentioned is the logical sequence of the women movement if one draws the extreme conclusion from its fundamental idea, the right of women to individual, free development of her powers. It is consistent historically that in America, where the movement for the right and freedom of women has been widely successful, many middle-class women have resolutely drawn these extreme conclusions of emancipation. Quite as psychologically logical it is that at a time when the uncomplicated soul life and life demands of the masses still form the most important factors in the shipping of the ideal of the future, the socialistic women, from their different point of view, have arrived at like ideals. But fortunately, there are in women, as in the masses still, great tracts of new ground, where new soul conditions will germinate, and in due time, new ideas will flower. Groups of men can at times forget mankind in dwelling upon themselves, but mankind in its entirety has never yet lost the instincts for conditions of self-preservation and the higher development of the race. I will come back later to the psychological phase of the question. I touch upon it here only as the social program of the future. A new field which the woman movement has opened up to women is the scientific field, for the fact that as early as the Renaissance some Italian women occupied chairs of academic instruction, that in the 17th and 18th centuries some women devoted themselves seriously to classic studies or the exact sciences, all that was only exceptional. And the women who, since the beginning of the woman movement, have distinguished themselves by great services in science are still exceptional. But in many places, sometimes as assistants of their husbands or of other men, women now perform good scientific work in different lines. Many women are also active in the sphere of invention without a single woman's name having been thus far connected with an epoch-making invention. Especially where constructive ability is necessary, women have as yet not been eminent. They have created neither a philosophical system, nor a new religion, neither a great musical work, nor a monumental building, neither a classic drama, nor an epic. 
On the other hand, the exact sciences, which would be considered a priori as little adapted to women, for example, mathematics, astronomy, and physics, are exactly those in which thus far they have most distinguished themselves. This contains a warning against two precipitate conclusions about the intellectual life of woman. Not until several generations of women with the same privileges of education as men, with the same encouragement from home and society, have exercised their faculty for discovery and their inventive and creative faculties can we really know whether the present inferiority of women in this respect is a provision of nature or not. Whether her genius was only hampered in its expression or whether, as I believe, it is ordinarily of a different kind from that of men. In art, there are several fields which the women movement did not need to open for the first time to women, dramatic art, music, and the dance. Indirectly, however, the woman movement has transformed the position of women occupied in these lines by increasing the respect for all good work of women and raising the requirements for women's education in general. The woman movement has also exercised an immediate influence upon certain artists of the present time. Thus, Eleonora Duse said to me that her most cherished desire has been to represent and interpret the new types of women, although the dramatists of today have rarely given her the material she desired wherewith to create characters, by which she could reveal the soul of the new woman and elevate men's as well as women's own ideal of woman. In the dance, women have been, especially in America, creative in connection with its forms and have been thereby also revelations of the new spiritual life of women, which has found expression in these forms. Great women, singers through Wagner's operas and ballad singing, have given voice to the primeval yearning of the woman's soul, as that yearning now assumes form in the new woman. And, in interpretations at the hands of great pianists or violinists, not one classical musical work failed to furnish similar revelations. The very finest effects of the woman movement, mere shades of the feeling which cannot be enumerated nor discussed, have reached our present time through lines, movement, rhythm, cadence, through the timbre of a voice, the gesture of a hand, the glance of an eye, the tone of a violin, and... These effects have been secured without any disturbance of their receptivity by strife over the precedence of women or of men. In other spheres, respectively, to the effects of art creations by women is still often dueled by this strife. In the above-named fields, long before the beginning of the woman movement, conscious of its purpose, women without arguments have convinced the world of the complete equality of women with men. And all these women, conquering through beauty in one form or another, have done more for the woman movement than it has done to them. Certainly, the woman movement, both directly and indirectly, has had its share in opening to women musical as well as other art academies and schools of applied arts. But academies have a doubtful value, and the smaller the value, the more gifted the student. The new right has thus become dangerous to the independence of real gifts, and with all possibilities of education thus opened wide, there comes a temptation for fancy talents to pass beyond their bounds. This danger, as far as the plastic arts are concerned, has found more and more its counterpoise in the schools of applied art, by which many women have been directed 
to the decorative professions, from house and garden architecture to fashion designing and holiday decorations. But in the field of the applied arts, as well as of the plastic arts and of music, the facility afforded by the modern conditions of trained and of public careers has instigated many women who before had exercised their little talent only for the pleasure of the home or society circles, to exhibit and appear publicly to the determined both of the home circles and, alas, also of art. The works of art by women, which humanity could not lose without really becoming poorer, have been created thus far neither in the sphere of music nor of plastic art. They all belong to literature. And this sphere of the women movement has not opened to women. Ever since the days of Sappho and of Corinna, women have attained fame as writers. In letters and memoirs, not originally designed for publication, next to that in the field of romance and the novel, occasionally also in the lyric, the feminine character has found thus far its fullest and finest expression. In all these fields, women have produced works which have been placed by men, not it is true, beside the greatest works of masculine genius in the same domain, yet beside eminent works of men. As intermediary of the works of others, woman has not in our time, as in the period of enlightenment or the circle of Goethe, her greatest significance through the conversations and letters, but through the printing press. The modern woman, however, as essayist and biographer, as translator and collector, is a valuable intermediary of culture. She is also, unfortunately, a menace to culture, not so much because of the inferior works which she produces, for these, like the similar works of men, soon sink into oblivion. The real danger lies in the fact that women in great multitudes increase the number of those journalists who lack intellectual as well as ethical culture, which should be an imperative condition in that field of work. But this profession is now, on the contrary, the one into which the amateur may most easily force an entrance without special training and without professional reputation. The result is that men and women who like both can pull down in their journals the real work and essential character of serious people, without the remotest conception or the faintest comprehension of either. On the other hand, these cliques of coffee houses people crown one another as kings and queens for a day. The press breed carries on in leaflets its flirtation as well as its vengeance. The knife which the child of nature thrusts into a rival's breast is now transformed into the pen with which the reviewer stabs a competitor's latest work. In a word, women now furnish to the press work occasionally excellent, frequently mediocre, and too often worthless. Their womanly characteristics make it feasible more frequently for them than for men to adopt more completely the rituals of the temple service of the deity of the press, the public. This womanliness evinces itself, especially in the ability to grip the fleeting moment by its fluttering locks and also to anticipate when that moment's locks are false and so the gas proof profitless. While hosts of women have turned to journalism, they are seldom found in the fields to which the woman movement should have directed them, in the field of sociological and psychological research. Nearly all significant works upon the normal, the abnormal, the criminal psychic life of children, young people, and women have been written by men. 
they have unfortunately treated the feminine spiritual life and scientific works also in which the author dares to speak of woman even though he knows nothing of her except what his own happy or unhappy experiences in a mother or sister wife or sweetheart have taught him the slight title of men to their scientific method when they venture upon the terra incognita which the soul of women still is for them explains why they extol as scientific works of women about women which are quite as superficial as those of men themselves with a few exceptions it is not the physiological psychological books written by women about women which have really thought the present something new about womankind in general and the new woman in particular no in the form of romances of lyric of voluntary confessions women has contributed the most valuable documents about her sex on the one hand those which indicate the transformations which the woman movement has occasioned in women's nature on the other hand those which demonstrate the extent to which her fundamental nature has remained unchanged even though this elementary material exhibits many more facets in the modern women than in the woman of any previous time facets resulting from the manifold conflicts and the frictions with life to which woman now exposes herself or is exposed from a literary point of view these books of confession have seldom a value which could be compared with that of the in outer sense objective classical works which talented women writers of the present have produced often however one of these confessions in which the writer has candidly given her own history has been of real literary value but even when the works contain mendacities and self-extenuations crass injustice towards men or towards other women as relevations of the modern woman's soul they are more valuable for the future than clarified artistically perfect works of women mentioned above for the truth about women in the century of the women is found only in the impassioned books in which the heart struggles for freedom work right or fame are recited or in those works impassioned in other way in which the soul or the blood or both cry out their yearning even unappaced in spite of freedom and work right and fame what we may to-day rightly protest against in these books is their recklessness which may in the future be regarded as the greatest value because up to the present time the most exquisite as well as the most horrifying women characters in literature have been created by men many men think that they understand women better than women do themselves and to this extent men are right that women attain their most sublime heights and reach their deepest degradation in and through love but aside from that women have a much clearer insight and for that reason a much more intelligent idea of one another than men has of women when accordingly a woman speaks not only of herself but also of another woman sometimes also of children we feel already that the eternal feminine in literature can create a feminine art in the best meaning of the word for the present we hope and with good reason that art as well as science will not appear as either masculine or feminine but reveal a complete human personality but this does not mean that this personality has fused with the masculine and feminine qualities into a common humanity and thus enervated it no it means that in such a being masculine and feminine traits exist side by side and assert themselves alternatively and harmoniously in all their strength 
within the rank of talent one may find feminine men and masculine women in that of genius never there each one guards fully and completely the character of his own sex in addition to the finest attributes of the other sex the distinctively masculine or distinctively feminine attributes characterizing an earlier culture epoch are on the contrary often lacking in these greatest men and women of their time in other words they lack exactly those attributes hypermasculine or hyperfeminine by which men and women not abreast of the times in their development please each other and the masses in literature as well as in life in the woman literature directly evoked by the women movement we can read the whole gamut of the feminine nature from the feminine in the highest sense to the feminine in the worst sense this literature shows how unthinkingly and defenseless certain women have plunged into the struggle how rationally and well-equipped other women have fought it out the impartiality of this judgment can be proven by the admission that in the first-named class i have not infrequently found adherents in the latter class opponents the women movement itself partly in lectures and in literary activity partly by means of office routine and work of organization has become a new field of labor for women even in this field it is found that many are called but few are chosen but when except after defeat was an army ever seen without baggage in the field of family right the women movement has achieved directly and indirectly great improvements in the legal position of the unmarried women the nearest proof is my own country this has within a period of from seventy to eighty years granted to the sister the same right of inheritance as to the brother declared the unmarried woman at her majority at the same age as a man a majority which was also expanded later through the suspension of the right of guardianship on the part of the husband existing for married women the marriageable age of women was postponed to seventeen years gradually woman has been placed on an equality with men to carry on trade and industry she has acquired the right to hold certain public offices although many still remain close to her the married woman on the contrary is still always a minor if no marriage settlement is made the husband has the right to dispose of the wife's property he has control of their common possessions he can restrict her freedom of work he has authority over the children a few small progressive steps may nevertheless be pointed out certain reinforcements of the effectiveness of the marriage contract the right to her wages accorded to the wife certain reforms in regard to the division of property and divorce some improvements in the position of children born out of wedlock in other countries also like reforms have been accomplished directly through masculine initiative directly through the influence of the women movement but everywhere family right is still founded upon the principles of paternal right supremacy of the husband over the wife indissolubility of marriage or solubility under greater or less difficulties in regard to citizenship i draw my examples also from the land i know the best in sweden women have long since participated in the choice of pastor for about fifty years they have possessed municipal franchise later in certain cases they have attained also municipal liability for example to the school board the board of charities and now finally to the town council still others could be cited in other countries women have sometimes more sometimes less civic right only in a few countries have they won political franchise in a single one finland also political liability 
In the sphere of family right as well as civic right, the woman movement has done much more remaining to conquer than it has thus far won. But I am convinced that the little girls I see down below the garden playing mother and child will possess all the rights due to wife, the mother, and the citizen. The woman movement in present form has accomplished its task if it has procured for every woman the legal right to develop and practice her individual characteristics, unhindered because of her sex. But after this emancipation of the women as a human being and a citizen, there remains the emancipation as a woman. And here, no transformation of forms of thought and feeling of manners and customs attainable by any legal provisions or paragraphs avail. The present woman movement has created and still continues to create the social conditions for this last emancipation, but it will not approve such far-extending results of its own work. It desires the same rights, but also the same duties for all women. If a single woman uses the freedom which the woman movement has procured for her as a member of society to fashion her individual life according to the deepest demands of her being, then the old guard trembles before the outcome of the battle for freedom in which it fought so valiantly. But nothing is more certain than that the feminine personality, whether her innermost desire be spiritual creative instinct, erotic happiness, maternal bliss, or universal human goodness, will acquire ever new forms of expression, forms of expression which the once liberal, now more conservative feminists and modern socialist feminists, partly do not divine and partly divining deplore. For the present, even the emancipated woman follows as a rule the paths which social custom has marked out for her sex, as well as the cultural ideas which have been, thus far, those of men. But if, in the coming thousand years, a feminine culture shall really supplement the masculine, then this will be exactly in the measure in which women have the courage to create and to act as most feminists now do not even dare think. Then it will be evident that all social movements of the present time, especially the woman movement and socialism, are only the work of the pathfinder for the masculine and feminine superman, if you prefer the older expression, complete man. Like other old guards, the veterans of feminism will not surrender, but will fall upon the field of battle. The little girls there below will one day celebrate their memory. For though their struggles, the way became free for youth, the way which leads out to the white sea where perhaps shipwreck awaits the one who ventures out into the darkness with her fragile skiff, but many will brave the voyage and bide their fate, strong, proud, and composed as the maiden in Schwinn's Wasserfahrt, that splendid symbol of the woman of the future. End of section 4 Read by Anna Nomoska.